0: 58, 1 to 11, and it's titled True Fasting. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. We have fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast, as you do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. He will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. And the last phrase of that chapter, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray.
1: Heavenly Father, as we come to your Word now, we just pray that you will open our hearts and minds to, to listen and be attentive to your word. We just pray, Lord, that as you speak to us, we will see what you would have us do with what we learn. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, for all those other than Alan Vale's family, uh, you'd be aware that this is, in fact, the last of a series of talks on everyday matters that Christians need to think about. I'm not sure what the proper title is. So, as advertised, we're going to talk about justice And I know that I've banged on about this topic a couple of times before and I was a bit surprised that Luke said I should do it again. Um, In the past, I guess, I've spoken more in a Mission International Aid, I want your money sort of way. Uh, Today, I want to try and stay focused on the theological and spiritual reasons why justice is important and why we each need to be involved in righting the wrongs of injustice. Does anybody know what justice means? Define justice for me. No, it's hard, isn't it? It's not something that sort of, s- it's got lots of aspects. The mer- just strap your brain in for a second. The Merriam-Webster dictionary gives us two main meanings of the term. The first is the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishment. Now that's legal justice. That's what most people think about when we speak of justice. Courts and conciliation and settlements and punishment. The second is the quality of being just, impartial or fair. And that's social justice in our dealings with others. That's doing the right thing. That's doing unto others as you'd have them do to you. I would suggest that that's not necessarily the Christian view of justice either or not a full view. I believe that our society sees justice as a good concept and a useful tool to maintain order and social stability. If we treat other justly, it's assumed that our society will flourish. But our vision as a society is often very narrow and our sense of justice is often limited to those close to home. There are often posts on Facebook suggesting that foreign aid is wrong when homeless people or farmers are in need here in Australia. Many people like to believe that justice begins at home, but God sees justice through a much wider angle lens than that and intends it for a much greater purpose. Justice is what God is about. It's central to his character and purpose and actions. We describe the person of God. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's all sorts of words that are where he is and what he's capable of. But God is also just and that's not what he's capable of. That's who he is. It's the essence of God. Justice is central in creation and in our salvation and in our sanctification. It's what God looks for in our lives as a sign of our real and thriving faith in him. God created a perfect and just world. He sent a perfect saviour to redeem his people and to give them justice. He sanctifies us as we seek to become more like Jesus and as we focus on what he is focused on. In Deuteronomy 16, God sets rules around feast days and offerings and cancelling debts and many, many other things. In verse 20, he makes a promise to his people. Follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. In James 1.27, James says, religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Psalm 45, verse 6 says, Your throne, O God, will last forever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Now the scepter is that rod thing with a knob on the end that monarchs hold. And it's the symbol of a ruler's sovereign authority. And the psalmist is saying that God's kingdom is a kingdom that's defined by justice more than anything else and who wouldn't bow down and serve a sovereign who is always just and always righteous. Since long before creation, God's plan had been about the establishment of a kingdom in which every relationship is based on justice. Our relationship with God, with our fellow man and with creation were to be based on trust and love and commitment. Now, I'd just like to acknowledge that much of what I'm saying today comes from a book by a fellow called Ken Witzmar, who's an American pastor and justice advocate. And the book, which is well worth reading, is called Pursuing Justice, The Call to Live and Die for Bigger Things. And Ken says in his introduction that justice is rooted in the character of God, established in the creation of God, mandated by the commands of God, present in the Kingdom of God, motivated by the love of God, affirmed in the teachings of Jesus, reflected in the example of Jesus and carried on today by all who are moved and led by the Spirit. The wide-angle lens through which Christians should see justice allows us to overlap the many aspects of just thinking and actions. And justice is is huge. It's love and mercy and charity and fair laws, righteousness, service, truth, integrity and ethics. God values all these things and wants us to reflect his nature by pursuing them all in our lives. It isn't good enough to just do one or two of them, uh, the easy ones. In our relationship with God and others, our pursuit of justice is an essential and central part and will impact how we pray and how we act and how we work and how we spend our money. The wide-angle lens is also important when we're looking at injustice. It's so easy not to see the need around us. The sadness and the hardship of others and the inequity that is so widespread in our world. Often our own stresses and hardships seem so much more important than those of others. And in a way that's fair because they're closer to us and they hurt us and they do cloud our perspective and our perspective is narrow. For some of us, we're so comfortable in our cosy, sheltered world that we don't want to look outside. We don't want to see the misery that is other people's realities. Sometimes we can be so busy pursuing what seems an admirable idea that we don't see the big picture and so cause pain and suffering to others, even with good intentions and a little bit by way of a break to give you a brain rest, um, I want to tell you a story I came across. It's not current, and obviously there are some significant cultural insights that are different to today. However, it demonstrates graphically how it's possible to combine good good notions and motives with tunnel vision, a lack of empathy, and a complete lack of understanding of the nature of God, and come up with a terrible result. The Society for the Propagation of the Gospel in Foreign Parts was formed in 1701 by the Church of England under the rule and authority of King William III. The Society's goal was to preach the gospel in the Americas and West Indies. Its governing body included the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Regis Professors of Divinity at Oxford and Cambridge. Pretty powerful sort of board, really. To help fund this costly enterprise, the society owned the Codrington Sugarcane Plantation in Barbados. The plantation fields were worked by African slaves. Each slave brought to the society's plantation was branded across the chest with the word society. When the branding failed to reduce escapes, the chief deterrent was the lash plus an iron collar if necessary. The slaves were subjected to miserable living conditions and working conditions and many died within several years. The clerics on the society's board noticed the plantation's high death rate but made no move to change how it operated. The Archbishop of Canterbury wrote to a fellow bishop in 1760 saying I have long wondered and lamented that the Negroes in our plantations decrease and new supplies become necessary continually. Surely this proceeds from some defect, both of humanity and even of good policy. But he concluded, but we must take things as they are at the present. Preaching the gospel is an admirable goal, but really? A good plan, but undertaken with no view to the justice of their implementation strategy and human resource management. It is just so easy to want to do good, but just not see the impacts and, and just not see the big picture. Witsmar quotes some interesting statistics which surprised me so I'll share them with you. More than 2,100 verses in the Bible speak of poverty but only 1,100 mention praying or prayer. Over 2,000 verses speak clearly of justice or righteousness but only 700 mention the word love. The Bible contains Excuse me, nearly three times as many references to money as it does to love. It would seem clear that God is intent on ensuring that His inspired word directs us to the needs of the poor, the dangers of money, and His strong focus on justice. Can anyone tell me what the word "shalom means? Come on Earth. Peace. Any advances on peace? It does mean peace. It does mean peace, but not peace as in Donald Trump and Iran getting on. It's God's peace. It's, it's Shalom is a term that refers to the intended state of peace, unity, goodness and wholeness that all of God's creation is meant to experience. It can also be translated as fulfillment. This is how God intended man to live, in a state of shalom with each other and with him. This was how it was in the Garden of Eden. Shalom peace should allow each of us to flourish and fulfil the potential that he created in us. It would allow us to commune with God, but sin and injustice have torn the fabric of this peace. Sin leads to injustice, hatred, violence, selfishness and fear only the pursuit of justice can start to right the wrongs that sin has caused without justice there can be no shalom god wants to undo the effects of sin and has intervened with a plan of salvation through jesus there is an eternal kingdom which is our inheritance in christ where shalom is restored but god wants more he wants us to work through the pursuit of justice to restore shalom here on earth now. The pursuit of justice is the act of righting the wrongs that sin creates and that God abhors. In Isaiah 58 it's made very clear that God doesn't just want our devotion and rituals, he delights in our search for justice. He doesn't want our token ritualised fasting, he wants our actions to make the world better. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? to loose the chains of injustice to set the oppressed free to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter we know that jesus christ the eternal son of god came to earth to live to die and to be resurrected for the salvation of those who put their faith in him he is the demonstration of the grace mercy and love of god for his creation he's the messiah the savior Through Jesus, we are justified, made righteous in the eyes of the Father. But his role as saviour is not all that Jesus came for. 700 years before his birth, Isaiah prophesied that justice would be one of his main concerns. In Isaiah 42, verses 1 and 4, he says, Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In Luke chapter four, after he'd been tempted in the desert, Jesus entered the synagogue in Nazareth and effectively started his public ministry. He opened the scroll of Isaiah and read these words from chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. When he introduced himself to the religious leaders, he chose to declare his works of justice as the designing evidence, defining evidence that he was the Messiah. Today, he said, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He doesn't mention him coming to save us from eternal damnation. He declares himself the Messiah because of his acts of justice. The good news that Jesus came to preach was about redemption, about the gracious and merciful acts of God, which would bring his people back into relationship with him. But these redeemed people are expected and indeed commanded to take this redemption redemption beyond its personal spiritual context into the material world and to strive to grow God's kingdom here on earth and to bring justice to the fallen creation and to its marginalised people. C.S. Lewis, and we all know C.S. Lewis, a well-known Christian writer, is quoted as saying that all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery is the long terrible story of people trying to find something other than God that will make them happy. That's true, isn't it? People are so rarely happy with what they have or where they are in life, but they look in the wrong place. They look to themselves and want to receive rather than looking to others and wanting to give. In Acts 20, 35, Luke quotes Jesus' words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Ken Witzma speaks of three good reasons to be active in seeking justice. Firstly, it's the right thing to do ethically. Secondly, it's the right thing to do religiously, because God has called and commanded us to join him in doing justice. And thirdly, it's the right thing to do personally, because the process of pursuing justice will result in satisfaction and peace and joy in our own lives. Pursuing justice is not about fulfilling a duty. It's not about, it's not meant to be a chore. It's about making things better. And that brings a sense of purpose and fulfilment. Seeking God's glory, loving our neighbours and making the world a better place are all part of our purpose in Christ. Pursuing justice places us close to God and his will. When we were kids, being able to share a passion or an activity where their father was so important. It brought us closer to him. It gave us an understanding of what mattered to him. And so it is with our heavenly father when we share his passion and concern for those who suffer. There are many words which have change their meaning over time and happiness is one of them in our consumer driven society happiness is often measured in how much pleasure we can get from what we own use do or create we measure our personal wealth by what we've achieved or earned but this worldly happiness is not the same as the moral happiness or satisfaction that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the meek. This word blessed can be translated from the Greek word makarios, and I don't speak Greek, I looked it up, to, be, to mean happy or blessed, or even to be envied. The Sermon on the Mount has always been countercultural cultural and it's hard to see much to be envied in being meek, being persecuted because of righteousness, or being hungry and thirsty. It's true that those who mourn or are meek or merciful may not have instant gratification, but they're going to find true happiness and blessing from God the Father. And they'll also gain from the human relationships which they develop as they give their own lives away and focus on others. The fact that we can find happiness in service of God and others shouldn't surprise us. God never intended that we should be unhappy. He made us in his own image and designed us to find true happiness and joy in the things that he values most. He values justice and love and righteousness. St Augustine once said, For you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. This rest is the peace which we feel in our souls when we're close in a close and secure relationship with God. It's the rest that comes when we know that we are seeking to be at one with the will of God. In Australia, Christians are mostly identified for what they're against rather than what they're for. Our good deeds and positive actions are overshadowed by our intolerance and moral arrogance. The bit I picked up in that reading this morning was that one of the things God doesn't want is our pointing finger and our judgmental nature. I hadn't actually seen that in that passage before. Our expressions of love are lost in our rebukes. We can very easily become self-righteous rather than truly righteous. The churches slash our moral failings make headline news and provoke royal commissions. Surveys indicate that over 80% of young adults see Christians as hypocritical or judgmental. Sometimes Christians become legalistic and are more worried about the possibility of doing something bad than actively seeking to do something good. This was the sin of the Pharisees. But true spiritual morality requires more than the absence of sin. It requires the absence of go- the presence of good. Not because I said it wrong but because I want to say it again, I will. True spiritual morality requires more than the absence of sin. It requires the presence of good. It requires us to live by faith and to move outside our comfort zone. We're not called by God to judge others. In fact, we're very clearly told not to be judgmental in Matthew 7, one to two. Why is it then that we are seen as judgmental by so many people? It's because they don't see the church actively speaking up for the good. For the needs of the disadvantaged and marginalized or making loving sacrifices for them jesus came to bring justice and to redeem the world why is this sacrificial love not clearly reflected in our lives and in our actions how can it be that we don't feel overwhelming compassion when we watch the news at night and i'm not talking about each of us individually but as a church the christian church Why don't we rise up in righteous indignation on behalf of all those people who are being abused in so many ways? God's love within us should compel us to be actively involved in meeting the needs of those in the world who can't act for themselves. Once our empathy becomes apathy, once we can just turn away from what we see and not feel the need to respond, then we're outside God's will. Apathy among German Christians allowed Hitler's regime to perpetrate obscene atrocities against the Jews and other groups. Apathy in Australia allows the issues faced by our Indigenous people to remain unresolved. It seems to me that the Christian church says very little about this problem. We choose to leave to the government who choose to do too little. Matthew 2531 to 46 makes it clear what Jesus requires of us. Those he calls the righteous, those who are blessed by the Father, are those who have fed the hungry, clothed the naked, visited the prisoners, and tended the sick. These folk are invited to come and take their inheritance. They aren't credited with achieving sinless perfection or doctrinal purity. They're credited with righteousness for seeking to redeem God's creation in their daily lives. Pursuing justice will mean that, in some ways, we're obliged to give ourselves away. We cease to be focused totally on our own needs and we have to be willing to give away some of what we might consider to be our own time or possessions or even life goals and plans so that we make other people's lives better or fairer. Can I finish with a practical thought exercise based on a current issue? There's a problem with what amounts to slave labour in the world today. There are more people in slavery today than there have ever been before. Clothing is made in factories where people's rights and entitlements are completely ignored. I suggest that as with all cases of inequity and abuse, we have four options in response, only one of which is God's will. We can fail to see the need because we aren't looking, because we have tunnel vision, we can fail to care enough to act even when we know that it, what it needs to be done, when we're apathetic. We can, decide to not, we can decide to not make the problem worse by not buying the products of these sweatshops. In other words, we're not doing something bad. Or we can act to bring about change on behalf of the people who are being marginalised and impoverished. We can actively seek to do good. Let me finish by quoting again from Ken Witzma. So every day we wake up and ask, what is right? What is just? Where is God and what does he care about? How do I labor to make to be the kind of person who makes God's world a just world? How can I work to redeem and reconcile people trapped in sin and systems and help bring about shalom? As we leave here this morning, let's pray that God will open our eyes to the needs in the world and replace our empathy with purpose-driven empathy. Let's pray that people will see the church as the active agent of God's love here on earth. Let's value what
0: God values. Let's sing again.